Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 29th at time of recording. You're listening to this at a later date and time, but we have a great podcast for you guys today, recapping the past week in sports. It was Thanksgiving week last week. Hope you guys all enjoyed that week, but we've got some sports to recap, a lot going on in the world of football, and then we will get into some of our questions as we do every single podcast. But with that, let me introduce my great friend, my awesome co-host, Donnie. Donnie, how are you doing today, man? You know, doing well, obviously. This is a little bit earlier than we normally record, so I'd say I have more energy than normal. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Uh, just happy to talk mostly football with you this week, uh, as we've done for the last couple of weeks. It's been uh, It's been good. Really exciting. Yeah, no doubt. A lot going on in college football. We got conference championships coming up this weekend. But before we get into college football, let's recap the week in the NFL. Because, Donnie, both of our teams got three-point wins, which for the Eagles has kind of happened on a regular basis. But for the Giants, we got to highlight the New York Giants. They got to win. It was not against a spectacular football team. The New England Patriots have certainly not had a great year. They've been using two quarterbacks in this game. They used both Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones, and they both threw interceptions in this game. It was ugly. It was not fun, but it was a real thing that happened. The New York Giants, they got a win for you, Donnie. What were your thoughts on watching this game that featured the New York Giants actually getting a win uh, in this ballgame? Yeah, you know, originally I would have thought, okay, this is the ugliest game of the week, but it actually, th- I, I think Monday Night Football probably takes that cake. Um, which is good, obviously takes some heat off of the Giants for having just a horrible, horrible football game. Uh, but my my anticipation here is that they're going to lose out the rest of the season. They have a tough schedule, including the Eagles twice. Um, losing to the Patriots would have been very, very good for pick cir- circumstances, pick situations. Um, and now, as we've talked about on this podcast before, RK, two years ago, the Giants are winning games. They shouldn't be winning at the end of the year to ruin their draft pick. Happens all the time. We're We're I'd say we're pretty accustomed to it at this point, RK. Uh, you as an Eagles fan, I'm sure you see the Giants. And you're like, okay, they're gonna, they'll are gonna win a game or two. Week 17, they'll, they'll sneak out a win against whoever they're playing, and then they'll, they'll screw up their pick. Instead of getting number one, they'll end up number six. Looks like the situation now. Looks like the Giants have, in the last two weeks with wins over Washington and New England, have played themselves out of the, new, the Caleb Williams conversation, which is really, really disappointing. And and Tommy DeVito, as much as I, I love, you know, watching the Giants win football, this is the worst circumstance possible, I think, at this point. So uh, a somber victory, I would say, uh, on the Giants end. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it wasn't that long ago where these two teams were playing in Super Bowls a couple of years apart, and it's definitely a far cry from those teams at this point in time. And yeah, who knows? Giants, they're winning games. Hopefully they don't give Tommy DeVito $40 million like they did Daniel Jones. I think chances are good there, but you really never know with the Giants at this point in time. I guess the only positive note you can look at uh, outside of the Giants, you know, messing up their draft pick, as you mentioned, which I agree with. But Jalen Hyatt, over 100 yards in this game. Nice to see the rookie get some explosive plays. Um, That's about all. I can give you though that you know on a Giants front uh, that you can take with you long term I do like Hyatt so it's nice to see him get a little bit more involved uh, in the offense and, and get some big plays but yeah an ugly football game the Patriots only have two wins this entire season and they both came in the division against the Jets and the Bills so it's been an ugly one for Bill Belichick and crew I mean it's just a complete dumpster fire on the side of the Patriots so at least the Giants were able to squeak away with a three-point home victory in this one and we move on uh, to other action in the NFL let's talk about the Eagles here real quick 
heck of a football game they played at home against the Buffalo Bills. It feels like really for the last like three or four weeks, the Eagles have played pretty much the same game. They've been trailing at halftime by, uh, you know, about two scores. And then they make this, you know, nice second half comeback. The offense kind of figures it out. Jalen Hurts gets some rushing touchdowns. DeAndre Swift, very involved in the offense in this game, had 80 yards rushing, but really was kind of the only sign of, uh, of some explosive plays and some hope for the Eagles at different times in this game. But Ends up being an overtime game that the Eagles get a game-winning uh, touchdown from Jalen Hurts in. Uh, had a big field goal at the end of this game from Jake Elliott as well um, that forced this game into overtime. So heck of a game between you know two really good NFL teams. I know the Bills are only six and six at this point in time, but obviously we know they've been um, you know a regular playoff team over these last few years and, and done some damage. So uh, big win for the Eagles. They continue to keep it rolling. A really tough part of their schedule right now. Uh, they've got the Niners coming up at home. A big NFC matchup coming up, but the. Eagles sitting right now 10 and one on the season only that one loss to the Jets so um, they've obviously been among the better teams in the NFL even though it hasn't always been the prettiest as I said you know a lot of slow first half starts and um, you know we've seen times where the defense has been leaky where there's been times where the offense hasn't really been getting things going but at the end of the day Jalen Hurts has been able to get enough plays in there uh, to move the ball and make those clutch uh, plays happen and, and get wins so um, this was a heck of a game what was kind of your uh, reaction and takeaways out of Bill's Eagles that we saw this past Sunday yeah, I don't know. I think realistically, you could say the Bills probably deserve to win this football game after their late game drive. Uh, obviously, we did see the Eagles drive to tie it up at the end of the game uh, with a Jake Elliott 60 yard field goal. Um, it, th there were definitely some some circumstances on there that you, you're not happy about, including a couple false start penalties from Mr. Kelsey himself, who is as consistently great as anybody in the league. So uh, a little bit surprising there. Obviously, I think you could also say it didn't look like they were the plays being called on that final drive for the Eagles where they did tie it up. You don't ever really want to leave yourself in a situation where you have to kick a 59 yarder to tie up the game. Uh, Jake Elliott, if you have a kicker that can, can do it like Jake Elliott, a clutch clutches, they come really like one of these guys that we are, we've become very accustomed to seeing hitting these ridiculously long field goals uh, to tie up or win up football games. Obviously as a giants fan, it's happened to me multiple times uh, watching Jake Elliott just hit these bomb field goals out of nowhere, but it's, I don't know if I was an Eagles fan, I'd be really happy with the victory, but the execution, it always, there's always something there that kind of just like leaves, leaves question marks for, for a Super Bowl contender team. And obviously there's a lot of other teams, in the NFL who are worse than the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are not the worst team in the league, but the Eagles are the best team in the league currently. But to see these little shortcomings, I would say these little like false starts on the last drive of the game can't happen. This is something that you should be so so accustomed to doing that that there's not even a question that there's going to be penalties on it taking two of them really bad obviously seeing him bounce back uh with a big block on the game winning uh game winning touchdown very ideal but something about it just like i it leaves me feeling like the eagles ended up being a little bit luckier than they should have been given the fact that i think if you look at the game altogether the eagles were probably the stronger team in this game even with the Bills having the ball most of the time and having 500 yards in the game. It felt like the Eagles played a pretty good game until the last drive where, you know, a little bit of bailout. You'll take it from your kicker, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. A 59-yard field goal for Jake Elliott in the rain, nonetheless. And you look at the other side, Tyler Bass for the Bills missed two field goals uh, in this game. You know, easily could have been a different result if you just flip kickers in this game. That just shows how close uh, the NFL is. And the Eagles sit top of the NFL. The Bills sit out of a playoff spot. It's crazy how those things happen. You know, we say game of inches and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you can very directly just look at the kicking situation <laughs> in terms of why this game uh, had the outcome that it did. But, nevertheless, the Eagles, they'll take it. They'll move on. And, as I said, they got the Niners, and then they 
they go on the road to Dallas uh, after that. So, um, you know, it's been a tough uh, little schedule part uh, for the Eagles here, but um, they've been able to kind of continue to find ways and hopefully they kind of pick it up in the first half and, and stop digging themselves these holes. But um, you'll take it any way you can get it uh, with how Jalen Hurts has been playing in these second halves to, to come through for them. Uh, all right, let's bounce around to just a couple other games that we saw over this past week. Um, one of which on Thanksgiving Day, we had the Packers take on the Lions. And I just thought this game, we kind of hinted at, at some of what we may have predicted out of this game last week. But for the Lions, finally having a good season, you know, near the top of the NFC, near the top of the NFC North, at the top of the NFC North, I should say, you know, a surprise season uh, to some, uh, you know, there was a lot of hype around the Lions, but they've really kind of come through overall. And then perfectly on brand, you get the, you know, Fox crew all hyping up the Lions. What a great story. Jared Goff resurgence, Dan Campbell getting them all together. And then they lose at home to their division rival, the Green Bay Packers. Jordan Love goes off for three touchdowns in this game. Packers didn't even have Aaron Jones and they get a seven point win on the road in Detroit. So uh, just kind of not that surprising. I shouldn't be that surprised that we finally have a season where the Lions are good. And then they lose for us on, on national TV on their big show on Thanksgiving at home. So um, just kind of a funny thing that happened that really wasn't too terribly surprising, at least in my opinion, to see the Detroit Lions come up short in a National Football League game that we're all watching. Yeah, definitely not super surprising. And I would also say, I just want to mention, the Packers pretty much dominated this game. Like, uh, it wasn't really that close. Obviously, you put up 20 points in the first quarter of a football game. You're thinking, okay, we're going to be fine. Um, it, it didn't seem like there was really any fight out of the Lions until very late in the game, which is really surprising because all we've seen out of the Lions this year is fight. All we've seen out of the Lions is these gritty uh, late-game victories. They win uh, one-touchdown games. Uh, they've been able to do it, something that we haven't seen in the past. And all of a sudden, RK... Jordan Love comes out Thanksgiving. He's feeling something different. Jordan Love's just feeling like a different quarterback on Thanksgiving because he goes out there. A pretty dominant performance from him, all things considered. A couple of drops from his young receivers. Uh, we saw Christian Watson drop a pass. We saw Jaden Reed drop two passes, I believe. Um, so yeah, kind of sort of mixed bag from the Packers. But a win is a win nonetheless. And I just want to mention, okay, this division stinks. The Minnesota Vikings, we saw, proved to themselves that they're really bad. Chicago Bears, not a good football team. We're pretty aware of that. The Lions are maybe the Lions are a little bit more fraudulent than we would have anticipated. Maybe um, I'm not going to say that just yet because they have won some decent games. Obviously, they beat Chargers a couple weeks ago in a great football game. But like outside of the Chiefs week one, the Lions have not really beat anybody with a pulse. Like it's been a pretty light schedule for them. Yeah, I, I think this really just holds true with the NFC in general. You know, the Vikings are currently in a playoff spot led by Josh Dobbs. The Packers are a half game behind them. Uh, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are five and six and they're leading their division, the NFC South. So it's just been a little bit of a down year for the NFC overall. And I think it's just, yeah, the Lions, I guess they're a nice story because nobody else has been a good story in the NFC really <laughs> this year uh, to kind of step up and, and fill some of that void. So um, yeah, a, uh, a tough loss for, for the Lions there at home, but um, still, in a very strong position where it seems you know, very, very likely that they will end up winning that division, hosting a playoff game, which obviously for Detroit you know, has not happened in quite some time. So um, just a tough one on Thanksgiving, but uh, they move on and uh, they will take on the New Orleans Saints on the road this upcoming week. So um, we'll see how they are able to respond. But um, let's bounce around. We actually had a Black Friday game for the first time in NFL history uh, between the Dolphins and the Jets. You know, wasn't necessarily the prettiest game because the New York Jets were starting Tim Boyle, and that's not very exciting. 
if you've never heard of Tim Boyle, probably shouldn't, you know, really look into him that much. Nothing really significant there. But we had a significant play involving Tim Boyle, probably something I don't think I've ever seen in a football game actually happen outside of like maybe a Madden game or something like that happening. They're throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. All right, let's just try to go into halftime, make something happen. Picked off by Javon Holland, and he runs it back 100 yards for a Dolphins touchdown. Have you ever seen anything like this, Donnie? No, never, never seen anything like this. And I just want to mention too, RK, the way that we built into this was pretty surprising because Tua threw a pick six literally like five minutes before that. Like it's, it's not even, it's crazy. Um, But the the fact that that happened, RK, uh, inexcusable for an entire football team. Obviously our friend Steve was mad that Garrett Wilson didn't try to run the receiver or run Javon Holland out of bounds. At like the two yard line because it did seem if you watch the replay back, Arkay, I don't know if you agree with me. You got a fast receiver there. You got a DB that's already done 105 yards down the field. You kind of sort of believe that maybe Garrett Wilson or whoever wants to chase him down can push him out of bounds. There's never a circumstance to give up a hundred yard touchdown return uh, on a pick six hail mary. Like it just it doesn't make any sense. Really bad. And I think even like maybe this reflects on like the coaching staff or or like why are you even throwing that? Why are you even trying it at that point? Like. The, Going to half, you're down four points. You're feeling really good in, in a 10-6 football game against the Miami Dolphins, who are the, the premier offense in the NFL at this point. Like, they, they are the number – absolutely absurd. Just just the craziest scenario ever. Obviously, the Jets deserve to lose after that, I think. Like, the game is over. You, you cooked yourself Thanksgiving dinner there uh, on Black Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Dolphins sit uh, now two games up on the Buffalo Bills, which is important for them. They currently don't have the tiebreaker. The Bills beat them in Buffalo uh, earlier this year, but uh, Dolphins currently sitting in that four spot in the AFC um, and atop of their division. You know, certainly a potential home playoff game coming up for the Dolphins. Um, they were able to take care of business against the Jets, who right now are second last in the AFC. Only the Patriots worse than them uh, in that conference uh, at this point in time, but I uh, did have a really good game. I don't know if I necessarily would have predicted that this game uh, would mean as much as it does and be as good as it is at the beginning of the year but Jaguars Texans two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL all of a sudden Trevor Lawrence and CJ Stroud kind of going at it uh, in this one a, a you know pretty big matchup where uh, the Texans they're fighting for a playoff spot uh, and the Jaguars are at the top of that division Jaguars end up coming out with a three-point victory over the Houston Texans get a big win because Houston beat them earlier this season as well so they're able to kind of split on on the head-to-head tiebreaker are the Jaguars but um, definitely an interesting game and a close one uh, in the AFC South. What did you see out of Jaguars Texans this past weekend? Yeah, really good game. Obviously, CJ Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, uh, another really nice matchup. We should see this matchup for quite a long time. It should be really, really good for quite a long time. Um, obviously, like I was thinking we were going to overtime here on the last drive of the game. It felt like Houston kind of had the they had the vibe. And then Josh Allen came in, uh, two sacks on the final drive of the game, pushed them back a little bit, made it very difficult for them to function. Uh, we also saw uh, a third and 12 play before Amendola missed the 58-yarder, obviously doing it right off the crossbar, which, I mean, you kick 58 yards, you hit the crossbar. You've done your job pretty much. Like, obviously, if your team puts you in a situation where you have to hit a 60-yarder to tie the game, set it to overtime, probably not on you. Um, we did see C.J. Stroud. And the Texans play calling on the final drive was a little bit questionable to me. I feel like when you're at a, a spot where you're at 59 yards on a third and 12, instead of trying to get to the sticks or trying to do anything, get a couple yards. You need a couple yards. You just signed this guy, Matt Amendola, off of free agency a couple weeks ago after an injury. Um, you're, you're, you're putting your, your season up potentially uh, on a kicker to hit a 59-yarder. 
Uh, I'm not I'm not banking on any kicker in the league hitting 58, 59, 60-yard field goals consistently. Obviously, Jake Elliott, Justin Tucker do it regularly. Uh, very, very good kickers. But it, it seems like maybe you lost a missed opportunity for the Houston Texans to kind of put – I wouldn't say necessarily put the foot down on the neck because it would have felt like the Texans would have been uh, in in strong a strong position at the top of the division tied with Jacksonville at seven and four. Now two games back, uh, it's it's wild Carter bust for them, and there's some competition in the AFC. Like we're at a point where the Houston Texans went from being uh, almost what I felt a lock in the playoffs to competing with a bunch of different teams for the final spot of the wild card. Like it's. It's kind of surprising to me to see them at this point, uh, regardless because of, of just how good they've been the last couple weeks. It's going to be a real grind to end off the season here. They got some really, really tough games. Denver was obviously going to be uh, an important game. You got to beat Tennessee. You got to beat Indianapolis. You got to, got to just win these games. Yeah, absolutely. AFC South, you know, we thought it was going to be one of the worst divisions. And I just certainly don't think it's still all that great, but definitely surprising that both Indianapolis and Houston are in that playoff picture over 500 at six and five at this point in time. You know, I think we probably thought Jacksonville would kind of run away with it and they probably still will end up winning that AFC South division. But um, Indianapolis and Houston have been definitely two of the bigger surprises uh, in terms of having success um, early on this year, especially when you look at the Colts without Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, for them. So um, yeah, AFC South uh, out of nowhere, kind of an interesting division but um with that we'll obviously you know continue following the nfl but let's bounce over to college football i mentioned at the top we got a big weekend coming up in college football with conference championship saturday and there's even some games on friday and whatnot but let's start with what we saw in the last regular season week of college football with our teams iowa nebraska kind of a classic game on black friday we've had for another year number of years and it was very similar to how a lot of these games play out iowa wins a low scoring tightly contested physical punt battle contest in the big 10 uh and iowa moves to 10 and 2 on the season they will play michigan in the big 10 title game uh certainly expect to kind of get destroyed they don't have much of an offense but um just kind of funny how this season has gone for iowa uh just so you know on brand with what they do in terms of this playing a bunch of defense forcing punts but not doing much on offense, but able to just kind of somehow squeak away um, with some of these victories. It's crazy that they very realistically should be 11 and one. I'll keep bringing up that Cooper DeGene fair catch play against Minnesota, uh, you know, until the end of time, but they got worked in Penn state in the other game, but uh, pretty light schedule for Iowa this year. Uh, don't think that we'll uh, have a low scoring, tightly contested Iowa win against Michigan, but they're at least in the game. Someone's got to win the big 10 West and it ends up being the Iowa Hawkeyes and they finish off a 10 and two regular season with that win uh, on the road against Nebraska, but um, pretty ugly football game overall. Don't need to spend too much time on this one. Uh, let's bounce over to your team, Donnie. Miami Hurricanes, they get a win against Boston College, 45-20. to 20. Um, But maybe a more interesting note, uh, their quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, has had certainly his ups and downs this season, to say the least, in the transfer portal. will not be coming back to Miami next year. So uh, give me your update on the Hurricanes, Donnie. What, what is your uh, current level uh, of, uh, of thoughts on what's going on with the Hurricanes football program right now? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because it does seem like SMU may be the team uh, that ends up picking up Tyler Van Dyke. Obviously, Rhett Lashley is their coach. Rhett Lashley was with Miami uh, calling plays, doing all, all that good stuff for Tyler Van Dyke a couple years ago. So it might make sense. It's going to be really interesting. Tyler Van Dyke may end up in the ACC playing Miami next year uh, for another ACC team when you'd kind of think that he would go into next year with a job if he wanted to keep it. Maybe the situation just isn't right for him. We saw this year, started off the year really well, fell off really quickly. Um, I would anticipate Tyler Van Dyke should get more respect than just an SMU. Uh, I, I would anticipate that there are some some Power 5 schools outside of the, the new ACC team uh, that would 
want him. I mean, like we've seen in college football this year, RK, a lot of bad quarterbacking from a lot of good teams. Like a lot of the high end teams have really struggled with finding a legitimate quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke in the right situation kind of excites me a little bit um, as a Miami fan who's seen him not in the right situation. has seen me the last two years with different play callers, um, some kind of tomfoolery there. I'm really curious to see where he ends up. If it's not SMU, he should end up at like a legitimate program and and he should be a legitimate NFL draft pick. Maybe not a good draft pick, but like fourth or fifth round. We see see the quarterbacks get taken all the time, RK. Like potential's there. Yeah, definitely. You've got the arm strength, but I think just this year, you know, 12 interceptions, not necessarily the best, definitely inconsistent. We've seen Emery Williams uh, at times this year for Miami uh, as well. So it um, seems like it'll be kind of be his show the rest of the way. Seven and five seasons. So Miami, they'll be in uh, in bowl action, but um, just kind of a tough finish, unable to take down some of the top ACC schools. Uh, when you look at Florida State, Louisville, North Carolina, um, unable to kind of build on, you know, that big non-conference win over Texas A&M early in the year. So um, yeah, definitely a, uh, an interesting season for Miami, seven and five, you're in a bowl, but um, I think they had a little bit higher expectations, especially considering they lost to Georgia Tech and, and NC State uh, this season uh, as well. So um, we'll see what happens next for the U but let's bounce over to some of the highly ranked teams in college football we had a massive matchup between Michigan and Ohio State I mentioned earlier Michigan got the win 32-24 I mean just an incredible game as we expected in the game uh in uh in the big house uh at Michigan um was definitely uh you know an intense game we saw some good play out of Marvin Harrison Jr. on the side of Ohio State he was definitely involved had a touchdown uh in this game um but it is JJ McCarthy Blake Corum and the Michigan Wolverines who end up coming out with this win they move on to the Big Ten title game against Iowa certainly seems likely that they'll be able to get that done and into the college football playoff yet again so uh, out of all the Jim Harbaugh scandals you know their Michigan is able to you know cap off a 12 and 0 uh, perfect season in Ohio State now three straight losses against Michigan you gotta wonder what the future may hold for Ryan Day we know that standard is incredibly high all Ohio State cares about is beating Michigan and three straight losses is uh, obviously not what they are looking for against their big rivals so um, it was a highly anticipated game it goes the way of Michigan um what's kind of your takeaways out of the game uh this year in 2023 yeah you know obviously I think you can you can look at two players obviously Blake Corum as you mentioned before very very good ended up touching the ball a ton uh which is I guess you would expect given the fact that JJ McCarthy has seen uh some serious ups and downs at quarterback but at the other side Kyle McCord was not very good Kyle McCord kind of played them out of the game um obviously a late pick doesn't help that scenario at all but I think even before that you could look back at his play um it just it wasn't great. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. makes big plays. You kind of know that's happening. Uh, but Kyle McCord not being good. And then uh, I guess you can pair on Travion Henderson was not very efficient either. Uh, it seemed like they were really struggling to get past the line at times. Uh, not what you expect out of an Ohio State offense. Like you kind of expect them to roll a little bit. And there was, I would say this was more of just like a, a slow trot forward they didn't really get a whole lot of momentum and then when they did have momentum Kyle McCord was very it was pretty much consistently you knew he was going to blow it probably um I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback I don't know a whole lot about Kyle McCord realistically I don't know what his background is but you you can you can blame him kind of heavily for this loss here I would say like he sort of kind of played them out of the game especially given the fact that on the last drive they were chunking chunking the ball at the field over and over uh, an interception is not is not an option at that point. It can't happen. Uh, you have to put yourself in a situation where you're holding on to the ball and not making these mistakes. Um, really uncharacteristic from Ohio State football, I would say. Really, really not the expectation. 
Yeah, agreed. Definitely that interception on the last drive, that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. And um, when you look at Ohio State, you know, that standard's high for quarterbacks. You got you know, the best receiver <laughs> in college football there. Emeka Obuka, you know, very good chance he goes in the first round, a big tight end. Cade Stover, Julian Fleming's been there a while. So you got no shortage of weapons. So, um, you know, you, you really don't have much room for error. Two picks in, in the game is uh, is obviously what did it for Ohio State, that last pick on the last drive for McCord. Um, so, you know, that's tough. Ohio State, they'll be sitting on conference championship weekend. They'll playing a bowl game they really don't want to be there for so um really got to kind of question what the future holds for them especially when you consider a lot of their teams going to be going to the nfl including marvin harrison jr who's likely a top three pick um you know this year in the nfl draft so um we'll see what the fallout is for the buckeyes but the wolverines they're moving on uh and should be in the college football playoff assuming um they're able to score more than like 12 points against iowa in the uh in the big 10 title game so uh let's bounce around though iron bowl this one was another thriller i mean we talked about like the detroit lions like a classic thanksgiving game this was a classic iron bowl you got a one loss alabama team you got an auburn team who's like barely bowl eligible like trying to figure out what's going on with them and auburn's got them on the ropes they got a fourth and goal from like like the 30 yard line and all of a sudden jalen milroad finally decides that he's going to kind of dime him up he gets a game-winning touchdown for alabama the tide roll yet again over the auburn tigers 27 24 i mean just an intense game uh, one of the best rivalries in college football you know following up the ohio state michigan crazy rivalry but the iron bowl it feels like it never disappoints you absolutely throw the records out of the window and this was a prime example uh of that uh you know kind of situation you know auburn six and six they finished the season but they're on their ropes with you know one loss alabama uh and uh, you know fourth and 31 to isaiah bond is is the game winner uh for the crimson tide so i mean heck of a game heck of a finish unbelievable play alabama pulls a rabbit out of the hat and they get a win against their big rival yeah, you know, I just obviously you kind of expect Alabama to win this game, but the way it was won is something that I'm still not like I'm not really like aware of that ever happening in another circumstance. Obviously, uh, you get fourth and goal from the 31 yard line after a really, really bad mistake on the second down, the fumble. Obviously, you lose 18 yards. You're thinking, oh, shit, we're we're in really bad situation. And then another penalty comes after that fourth and 31. You think, OK, Auburn. If you have to do anything right this year, if you have to do anything right at any point, you want to get that seventh win, you want to beat Alabama, you just got to stop fourth and 31. Uh, stunning how that happens. Obviously, Jalen Milrow, a lot of respect to him for making that play. Um, extended it a little bit to where he could find Isaiah Bond in the corner. Isaiah Bond obviously got his feet down. Some really bad pass coverage, some really, really bad DB work from uh, the Auburn faithful. It's I, I'm I've watched that play maybe a dozen times since it happened. I'm still stunned that it, it existed, that that was a real football play. Like, okay, that happened on the football field on a fourth and 31 with 43 seconds left in the game. They did this. The last the last ditch effort to save their season. Somehow Alabama does it. It's like if you were talking about scripted, it, that's as scripted as it comes. That's a movie play if anything's ever happened. It's just come on now. How does that happen? How does that occur? Yeah, pretty insane. No pass rush for Auburn on this play. Milrow sitting back there for, you know, 25 seconds, it felt like. Finally finds his one-on-one matchup. And, uh, you know, for Auburn, they're just trying to keep this guy in the pocket. You know, he can run. He's obviously not going to scramble for 31 yards, but just trying to kind of contain him. And he's like, hey, I'll just sit back here in the pocket, wait for a one-on-one matchup, throw a one-on-one ball. And it works out for Isaiah Bond for a game-winning touchdown. I mean, just an insane game. Crimson Tide fans, I mean, you guys, you don't know how spoiled you are. Like, you're just like, yeah, we'll just move on. We got Nick Saban. We're going to figure out a way to beat Auburn. That's just what happens. And 
unless there's a game-winning field goal on the line and Chris Davis is back there. Like Alabama's going to find a way to win against Auburn no matter what's going on. So um, yeah, pretty insane game. Iron Bowl, like I said, never fails to disappoint. And Alabama, they move on to the SEC title game. They'll go to Atlanta to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and you know, an anticipated matchup for sure. Georgia, a six-point favorite uh, early on as the number one team uh, in the country there. Um, you know, we'll see that game on uh, Saturday of this upcoming week. All right, let's wrap up college football thoughts. Heading over to the Pac-12 uh, real quickly. Um, we saw a win for the Oregon Ducks in the Civil War over their rival Oregon State pretty handedly. Bo Nix continues to play really well. And then they will play in the Pac-12 title game against the Washington Huskies, an anticipated rematch of a game we saw a couple weeks ago. But Washington actually had a tight game against Washington State, their rival, but only a three-point victory. So um, we actually see Oregon as kind of the heavy favorite uh, against Washington in the Pac-12 title game. Um, that game will be played in Las Vegas on Friday night, but um, Oregon trying to avenge that loss, a three-point loss they had on the road at Washington earlier this year, and Oregon sits as the number five team in the country, so you think if they are able to get this win over Washington, beat every team that is on their schedule, there's a good chance that they will find themselves into the college football playoff themselves, and um, that wouldn't that be quite a story uh, for the Oregon Ducks, who obviously many people think they are the best team in the Pac-12 with how Washington, even though they're undefeated, um, they've had some close games against some teams that maybe wouldn't necessarily expect a one possession win over Arizona state one possession win over Washington state that just happened for example. So uh, Washington 12 and zero, number three team in the country, but heavy underdogs against the Oregon ducks in the PAC 12 title game. Uh, any predictions from you? Do you think Washington's being maybe a little overestimated here? Uh, or do you think Oregon will, uh, will get this thing done and, and have a good chance to get into the college football playoff? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously like we're seeing two of the better quarterbacks in college football, which usually yeah. we don't get two good quarterbacks playing in the same game in college football this year. It's been uh, it's been very inconsistent with the top end teams, but I I'm very surprised to see what the line has come up. They have Oregon as a 10 point favorite after losing a couple weeks ago. Obviously, Oregon hasn't played any close football games outside of the Washington game this year uh, and the Texas Tech game very, very early on in the season. They've kind of blown out everybody they've played. Um, so I guess that might be where the vibe comes from. Uh, but. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit stunned to see just how heavily favored. Like Oregon's a minus three forty favorite to make the playoffs. Currently not in a spot. Have to win a game to make it. Uh I'm I'm not exactly sure about this. I do think uh it'll be a really good game. I'm excited for it. I think it's probably the best of the games that we are lined up for, I would say, in terms of the non, you know, the the games that actually matter, the games with meaning. I'm not super hyped up about Georgia, Alabama. I'm super hyped up about Oregon, Washington. I think it's like I I think we've got the chances to have like maybe an all time or potential game. And I mean, okay, we got to mention it's gonna be high scoring as hell. Like there's kind of gonna be 65, 70 points in this game. Like sign me up, really. I'm I'm fired up for it. I, I'm thinking Oregon probably ends up winning. I mean, I just you know. Bo Nix is different. Bo Nix has been a little bit better than I would have anticipated. Even like after last year, we talked about how good he was. Uh, Michael Penix obviously has been really good. I don't know. Just something about it. Something about it. the lines being mi minus 10 is crazy. It seems like, like we're talking about Georgia is a six and a half point favorite against Alabama. Like Georgia is the best team in college football. How did Oregon get a double digit favorite out of it? Like it, it's something's a little bit weird there. Yeah, Washington, they're still a good team. Like, if they win this game, they, they're they the number three team in the country in the college football playoff and probably taking on Michigan uh, in their next game. But, you know, they find themselves as a big underdog. I just think this is going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be fun to watch. There's going to be offensive fireworks. There's playmakers on both sides of the ball, on both teams. And as you said, at really good quarterbacks that are going to be NFL, you know, I think NFL starters uh, in these next few years, probably next year, if we're really being honest with both Penix and Bo Nix. So um, this is going to be a fun one. Friday night, you know, tune in to uh, Oregon-Washington top five match 
matchup in the Pac-12. Um, you know, kind of a swan song for the Pac-12 last year, but this one should be a really, really good game. I'm excited to see uh, how it turns out um, this Friday night. So should be a really fun weekend of college football, conference championships. Uh, as always, the only one we didn't hit on, Louisville, Florida State. Uh, quickly, you know, Florida State, obviously no Jordan Travis. They had kind of a close game uh, against Florida in this game, but they were able to figure it out. Obviously, a lot of playmakers on the side of Florida State. Trey Benson had a long uh, touchdown run for uh, Florida State in this one. They're able to pull it out. They'll take on Louisville, uh, 14th ranked team in the country, 10 and 2. So uh, maybe that could be, you know, a potential upset situation. Florida State only a two and a half point favorite and in a college football playoff spot at this moment in time. So um, that one should be an interesting one to keep tabs on to uh, late on Saturday night. Uh, it'll be kind of the only game going on uh, at that point in time outside of the Big Ten title game, which will probably be over by the end of the first quarter. So low expectations for the Hawkeyes, but that's just kind of how it is. I've seen this script before. Um, so should be a fun weekend. College football, uh, you know, coming to a close here, um, but should be a, a good weekend there. But let's bounce over to questions now, Donnie. Let's get into this uh, after after recapping a lot going on in football. First question asker on this podcast. This one comes from Michael Jason. Back again. Another question for the pod this week. And he says, rank the five most dangerous live sideline mascots. And he said this kind of comes after watching some USC Trojan action. And uh, they, they got their live mascot. And there's a three-foot sword, like really close to all these players running out of the tunnel. Uh, what could go wrong? But uh, we've, we've seen a number of college football teams. They've got these live sideline mascots. I've kind of got my list of, uh, of, of live mascots that I want to highlight on this one, Donnie. But I'm going to let you go ahead and share first. Give me your most dangerous live sideline mascots. I'm thinking mostly college college football is kind of where we get some of these, but uh, any flavor you're feeling here, go ahead and, and share it here. Live sideline mascots, most dangerous. What do you got? Yeah, I did some research on this because I wasn't anticipating, I wasn't anticipating this question. I wasn't sure that we were going to ever get this question. So I wasn't very uh, educated on it. Uh, I just want to mention first off that USC mascot that you mentioned almost stabbed himself in 2017. I looked into this. He dropped the sword very, very close to his foot. Apparently like he could have, he could have impaled his foot. Uh, so never ideal. I definitely think that he deserves to be in this list. Um, I also wanted to mention the Oklahoma horse mascots that have tipped over the cart. There's there's definitely there, there's inherent danger uh, just in that situation. They're going very fast, running in circles. Uh, we've seen it tip over before. RK. this is not it's not something that has never happened before. So we have this circumstance as a reality. This has happened already. Uh, but the ones that haven't had issues with I wanted to mention, obviously, LSU, they have a, a live tiger named Mike as their mascot. I'm not going anywhere near a tiger. I don't know. I don't care if it's domesticated. I don't care if it's trained well. It's it's a part of my country. It's a fucking tiger. Like, I'm not going near a tiger. Okay. I think you're probably in the same situation. And I think also that, that goes to the Colorado Buffalo. Ralphie, we're staying away from the big buffalo. The buffalo is not on my list. Not somewhere that I'm going anywhere near. Uh, just, you know, these animals, are they're killing machines, RK. We could, we could see some really, really dangerous, you know, harsh situations out of that. And I, I don't want to mention, like, I, I don't want to say that it's a guarantee that it happens. But at some point, RK, at some point, we're going to have a horrible, horrible circumstance with, with that. Just in general, it, it is what it is. Um, very, very sad. I also wanted to do, uh, you have it on your list, but the Arkansas Razorback, um, it's a feral pig. I don't, a feral pig does not sound like a good idea, RK. Having a pig that is uh, angry, obviously, we did see the last iteration of Tusk. Tusk V died in January, so we are on to Tusk VI at this point, but I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not fucking with the feral pig, RK. I'm not messing with the feral pig. Yeah, no, those, uh, those are all good answers uh, on that one. We do have a little overlap. I got to start, though. 
the Texas Longhorns, you got to think back to the 2019 Sugar Bowl when Bevo, the Texas Longhorn <laughs> live mascot, goes after the Georgia Bulldog live I at the Sugar Bowl this. before the game. I mean, this is like the top <laughs> tier of most dangerous live sideline mascot moments. He's like getting uncontained. Like you just can't make that stuff like that up. Like that was insane. Can't believe that actually happened. So Texas, they're number one. Everybody else, they're after Texas because this Longhorn was actually causing issues with the Georgia Bulldog. Like you can't make that up. Uh, you really can't. Uh, Colorado, I got Colorado uh, on my list as well. Ralphie, you know, you're just bringing out a big-ass Buffalo before a game. Like, yeah, I mean, that seems like things could go wrong there as well. Florida State, they also make my list uh, on this one. They've got their own little setup where they got the Seminole running out there. Chief Osceola and Renegade. That's the, the names here we got for Florida State. But yeah, they got this big guy, kind of like USC, running out on a horse with a big-ass spear that they're throwing at, at center. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there, there could be some things going wrong there. And then I got USC and Arkansas, which you touched on uh, as well here. So yeah, it's weird. College football, we're like the only ones where we're like, yeah, let's bring the live actual mascot. We'll get 80,000 people all riled up before this football game. What could go wrong? We'll just imagine a bunch of screaming people and, uh, you know, one animal. Like, we'll totally have everything under control. So uh, yeah, this is definitely a, a funny question. You, you don't necessarily always think about it comparing the, the live mascots, but here we are, uh, you know, doing it. But Texas Longhorn, 2019 Sugar Bowl, you know, that's the that's the top tier. That's the Hall of Fame of, uh, of live mascot moments for me. Yeah, and I mean, like in the NFL, there's definitely options. There's there's potential for them to bring live mascots. Like the Cincinnati Bengals could get a live bangle and throw them on the sideline. It wouldn't be surprising. It would be very par for the course here. Um, but I'm thinking it's probably good that we don't have the live mascots in the NFL uh, you never know what's going to happen in an NFL game. Obviously, you get a Bengal out there or like a the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have a live Jaguar on the sideline. We don't want a live Jaguar on the field at a football game. We don't need that. That is something that we are absolutely not looking for. So maybe it's a good thing that it's just a college thing and not an NFL thing. Yeah, I guess honorable mention to the Tampa Bay Rays. They got those Stingrays out there in center field. <laughs> they, so they got a little tank action of uh, of some Rays, but they're pretty well protected. No home run balls are getting in there. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we're getting any dangerous moments with the Stingrays, but we definitely are getting it with the Texas Longhorn uh, and, and a handful of others. So uh, good question there from uh, from my uncle Jason. Appreciate that. Um, but with that, let's move on. We got our guy Eric Jensen back with a bunch of questions for us. Uh, still checking in on the Broncos. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's start with the NHL, though, Donnie. NHL check-ins. Eric just trying to get some feelers out. We're about like 20, 25 games into the NHL season. Still pretty early on, but just kind of keeping tabs on what we've seen so far uh, in the NHL. Let's start with the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Vegas Golden Knights. They've gotten off to a nice start this year so far. Gotten some good goaltending from Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, in my opinion. But, Donnie, what are you seeing out of Vegas? Do you think they have a good chance to repeat this year? What's your feeling right now on uh, on the defending Stanley Cup champs? Yeah, you know, they're getting their uh, inability to score out of the way here. They really struggled to score the last five games or so. I believe they've only scored one or two goals in four of the last five. They've lost a lot of these games this month because they're on the road. They've on a really, really hefty, uh, harsh road trip right now. But still, top of the league, can't really argue with that. 14-5-4, and four, pretty good start. Can't really argue with that. Uh, offensively, production-wise, outside of the last couple of games, we're seeing William Carlson, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone all doing their thing. Kind of as you expect, no real problems there. And they will see some healthy guys uh, as the season comes on. Obviously, we did see Shea Theodore just went to IR, I believe. So that is a really big loss because he is either their best or second best defenseman, depending on how you feel about Alex Petrangelo and gang. Uh, but yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights are good. They're really, really good. Um, I don't I don't see them falling off at any point. They should very well compete for the Western Conference, the title, I would assume, with Colorado. Um maybe the Kings, maybe Dallas, those teams, but uh, it should be Vegas there at the very top, at least one, two, 
Uh, I would be stunned if Vegas was on a top three team at the very worst by the end of the year in the Western Conference. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And yeah, you mentioned the injury to Theodore. Alec Martinez has also been a little banged up. So, you know, maybe some reasons there. You still got McNabb and Petrangelo on the back end, but a little bit lighter than, uh, you know, we've been accustomed to. Obviously, you know, it's been one of the top decors uh, in the NHL. Big reason why they won it all uh, last year. So, um, yeah, Vegas, they, they're, you know, in definitely a spot where even if they don't necessarily win that division, they're going to be one of the top three spots in the Pacific, you know, pretty much guaranteed, I would say, um, with how that division has shaped out so far. Vegas, Vancouver, LA, you know, kind of well ahead of the pack of the the rest of that division at this point in time let's move over to the team that they beat in the stanley cup uh finals last year the florida panthers um how are they doing so far this year well pretty good again they're second in the atlantic at this point in time uh matthew kachuk has been incredible yet again this year really building off what was a you know unbelievable run last year in the stanley cup playoffs but um he's been incredible for florida you know yet again this season and, and the panthers have had a, a lot of success um early on this year um what are your observations out of what you've seen uh from the florida panthers donnie yeah, I mean, after last year, really struggled to get in the playoffs. We were kind of curious to see, like, even if they were going to make the playoffs the last couple weeks of the season. I think both you and I were kind of uh, uh, maybe cautious with the Florida Panthers because it did seem like they weren't necessarily getting the goaltending they needed. Um, doesn't seem like much of an issue this year. It feels like they've been kind of consistently better than everybody else uh, in terms of just like an all-around performance from the team. Uh, we've seen both Bobrovsky and Stolarz be pretty good. Um can't really argue with that. Obviously, you had the, they had the league leader in goals and Sam Reinhardt until last night when Brock Besser potted two. Uh, if Sam Reinhardt scoring 40, 45 goals for you this year, you would expect Florida, if they don't win the division, very close to winning the division. It feels like they are the only team that's really that close to Boston. Uh, maybe Toronto, maybe Tampa, but uh, I would definitely say that Florida feels like they're a little bit like a step ahead of the Torontos and Tampas and the Detroits of the world at this point right now. We'll see if that lasts all season. Obviously, injuries happen. Um, things things get in the way. Uh, but it does seem like Florida is back to what where they were two years ago rather than last year. It uh, doesn't seem like they should have any issues making the playoffs, although a lot of season left to be played, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. It's been pretty much the uh, Sergei Bobrovsky show uh, so far this year for Florida. Spencer Knight, we haven't seen him uh, in action at all. So um, he's been kind of carrying the load uh, for Florida uh, between the pipes. And, and, you know, they've been looking pretty good yet again, probably uh, another postseason appearance for them uh, coming up. Uh, and then last team, Eric wants us to kind of uh, check in on the Arizona Coyotes, you know, maybe a team at a little bit different uh, point of uh, of what that organization is looking at than Vegas and Florida. But um, Arizona, they've looked good at times this year, still out of a playoff spot at this point in time in the Central Division. Uh, obviously a very young team still uh, at this point in time. They've got Logan Cooley, one of the fun young rookies uh, in the NHL this season. But uh, out of the Oats, what have you observed so far uh, this season, Donnie? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, they're coming off wins against Vegas and Tampa. You beat Vegas and Tampa back to back. You're thinking, OK, like, great. We're, we're looking. This is not something that would have happened with the Arizona Coyotes in years prior. Um, They were not winning those games. They were not competing in these games. Uh, obviously, they have added some some young talent. They've brought some young talent to the roster the last couple of years. Obviously, Logan Cooley being on the team is a big help for them. Uh, but guys like Matias Michelli, Matias Michelli is, is a very unsung hero of this team. 16 points in 21 games, very, very young, only 23, just turned 23 a couple months ago. Uh, Michael Carcone scored twice last night. Nice having these depth scorers in the lineup. It's just, it's a decent team. I'm not necessarily sure I'm sold on the goaltending. Obviously, Ingram has been the lights out this year. Connor Ingram is like one of the, the unsung heroes of the entire NHL uh, between the fives this year, 8-3-1, uh, 924 save percentage this year. Uh, Arizona's not making the playoffs probably, but they're definitely more competitive than they were in prior years. And it does seem like the Coyotes are in the right direction. Um, the next couple of years, they should be 
a playoff team, I would assume, and they should be semi-competitive. Get them a real arena. Get them some consistent fan base. You know, maybe where this is the rise of the Arizona Coyotes, starting with the the Logan Cooley show, maybe. Yeah, it it just seems like they've had an absence of so much. You know, you said it, goaltending. Well, at least Connor Ingram's been good this year. Defense, that's been really bad in the past. Well, Matt Dumba and Sean Dersey have at least been decent for them uh, as offseason additions. And then you said some of the depth forward, um, you know, that they've been getting, which obviously has not been something they've had much of. So slowly starting to turn the page in Arizona. You know, am I guaranteeing they're making the playoffs? Certainly not. But the Central Division is a little bit weaker um, this season than, you know, we've seen. And, and really, I don't think it's, it's all that good outside of Colorado and Dallas in terms of, um, you know, real Western Conference contenders. So maybe we could see Arizona kind of sneak in some action, but um, I still probably uh, hold the opinion that they'll be on the outside looking in and, and yet again in the draft lottery if I had to put a, uh, a prediction on it uh, at this point in time. But at least it's getting a little bit warmer in Arizona outside of the weather uh, for the Coyotes. So um, good questions from Eric checking in uh, on hockey. We'll obviously have a lot more hockey thoughts as we continue to get deeper, have a little bit better feels for how these teams have come out. We'll probably get into some predictions in terms of some of the awards, the Calder Trophy, the Hart Trophy, the Rocket Richard, all that sorts of stuff over the next couple of weeks uh, as well. And even World Juniors kind of starting to sneak up a little bit um, in the next you know couple of weeks. We'll start to see some of those rosters. So a lot more hockey content coming on the Rothpod uh, over the next few weeks should be a lot of fun. Uh, but with that, let's get back into some football thoughts from Eric uh, for this podcast. He says, Give me the playoff teams with the following scenarios. We're playing hypothetical games right now, Donnie, in terms of what we could see this weekend in college football championship weekend. The Oregon Ducks say they get a win over the Washington Huskies. Alabama upsets Georgia. Texas gets a win themselves in the Big 12. Michigan gets the win over Iowa. And Florida State gets a win in the uh, ACC championship game. So in that scenario, we get number one, uh, Georgia losing. Number two, Michigan winning. Number three, Washington losing. Uh, number four, Florida State winning. Number five, Oregon winning. A lot going on in this scenario from Eric Donnie. Um, I guess the first question I would have, do you think Georgia would be left out in this kind of a situation if they don't get a win against Alabama? What are your thoughts? No, I still think Georgia's pretty much a lock, even if they were to lose. I think I would have them above Texas beating Oklahoma State. It doesn't really seem like Texas is in the best scenario here uh, to make the college football playoff, at least in my eyes, uh, it feels like they would need a lot to happen, and this is probably not enough for them to make it. Uh, although it does seem like they are right on the outside looking in, betting wise, odds wise, it seems like they're they're pretty much right there. Uh, I would anticipate almost like I, I would guess that it would be Michigan one, um, without much argument there, without much of a question. Uh, maybe at that point, Oregon ends up number two, uh, given a win over Washington. Obviously, that's a uh, sort of kind of important, is it not? Like. It seems like that would be the the potential scenario we're seeing there. Uh, number three, I really don't even know how to like. It, does Florida State get number three just off of a, a, by virtue of beating Louisville even without their quarterback? Uh, feels like that would probably be the ending scenario. And then we get to a point, RK, where we're talking about um, Georgia, who just lost to Alabama. Are they still getting in over Alabama? Are they getting in over Texas, who wins their their conference championship? I would still say that I'd rather have Georgia in at number four than I would any of the other teams. I think that there would be a ton of backlash if that did end up happening. Georgia, especially making it over Alabama. But I really have a hard time believing, unless Georgia got blown out, because the way that these teams do end up losing does matter. Like if we see a classic Georgia-Alabama game, I think Georgia pretty much clinches their way in regardless of if they win or lose. But it's... And that's the that's the really important part of all of this to me. It's like that game means more than every other one because Georgia 
very much deserves to make it. And if we're call, calling one loss against a really good Alabama team, an Alabama team that has found its footing, if we're calling that one loss big enough to keep them out after winning the last couple of years, like, I, I have a really hard time believing that could happen, honestly. Yeah, this is a crazy situation, uh, for sure. I, I mean, Michigan winning isn't necessarily the most surprising thing in the world. I think that's probably the most given. Florida State, if you're undefeated and you win your conference championship, you know, it's really hard to say you can't get in, even without your quarterback. I think you probably probably give them the benefit of the doubt. If I was ranking it, I would say that Oregon, Georgia, and Alabama, all with one loss, they're probably better, though, than Florida State, and an undefeated Florida State, and a conference champion, because they don't have Jordan Travis. So that's kind of a tough situation. And then you look at Texas, we're a one-loss conference champ. Alabama's a one-loss conference champ, and we beat them head-to-head in Tuscaloosa. So then Texas is mad because they're getting left out. I think at the end of the day, though, it's the committee's job. Pick the four best teams. We know if Alabama beats Georgia this weekend, a one-loss Alabama, an SEC conference champ, they can't be left out. Come on. Like, Georgia and Alabama are both top four teams in the country if Alabama ends up winning this weekend uh, in this situation. So I don't think there's a way you can leave out Georgia and Alabama in this situation. Michigan is already in. So then, to me, honestly, the question becomes between Oregon, Florida State, and Texas, who all would end up winning their conference championship, and Florida State would be the only one undefeated. But I think with, you know, strength of schedule factored in there with how good the Pac-12 was this year, I would probably say Oregon should be that fourth team. And yeah, Florida State, sorry you kind of get screwed over a little bit here, but I, in my opinion, your job as a committee is to pick the four best teams, and uh, I would leave out Florida State uh, and Texas in that situation. You know, uh, you know, I think probably the most surprising thing uh, out of all that would be an Alabama win over Georgia. That would really kind of cause some chaos uh, in terms of, you know, can we put two SEC teams in? I definitely think they can because I think that that conference has earned that bragging rights, and, and I think we know that those are two of the four best teams in the country if that ends up happening. Yeah, man, it's I, I'm at a loss almost to figure out what would be happening with the last couple teams. Um, four, five, six, it all, all seems really close. But it does seem like we are kind of sort of in agreement there that like that there's one spot. It's it's literally just one spot if this does happen. Uh, regardless, because I think the pack winner makes it. I don't think there's really much of a question there. If Oregon was to win, I think that they would pretty much be a lock. And I Michigan, Michigan's probably not going to lose to Iowa, who's got a point five. Uh, over under for both halves of football. I'm just thinking. No, no offense, RK. We know what we're getting out of Iowa football at this point. The one spot, and there's gonna be a lot of really, really upset college football fans. Regardless of what happens, there's not a scenario where this doesn't piss off at least one fan base. And we're gonna hear about this for a long. Imagine Texas misses the the playoff. We're gonna hear about this forever, RK. It's gonna be decades until we stop hearing about Texas missing the playoffs in 2023. Yeah, in a year, yeah, if that Alabama wins happened, like Texas, we're like, hey, we also were a one-loss conference champ, and we won at your house. How are you leaving us out over you? But, I mean, hey, it's tough. I don't envy that position. This year has been pretty crazy. Uh, and really, the Jordan Travis injury throws a huge wrinkle in this. I think Florida State is a lock, and we're like, yeah, this is a national title contender. If they had Jordan Travis, you know, obviously just um, really unfortunate with his injury there. But, um, yeah, bring on the chaos. Let's see it happen, Eric. Let's uh, bring on, uh, you know, the chaos. I think that Alabama win would really throw a huge wrinkle into things um you know this upcoming weekend um, good question there uh next question from eric uh bouncing back to the nfl here quickly uh jordan love we just talked about him earlier on the podcast a nice thanksgiving day performance three touchdowns on the road against the detroit lions what's jordan love's nfl ceiling at this point in time uh i i think in general for me i'm a fan of jordan love i think he was kind of unfairly criticized wasn't really given a shot it's not often you see a first round pick actually sit for two seasons unless you're the green bay packers which they did with aaron Rodgers as well but uh you know pat mahomes for example him sitting even just one 
year behind Alex Smith. That was even kind of, uh, you know, surprising, like, oh, wow, you're actually trying to develop your, you know, prized possession first round pick investment quarterback. Wow, what a crazy thing to do. But I like Jordan Love. I think he's got some potential. I don't think the weapons in Green Bay are necessarily the best. You know, he's throwing to guys like Jaden Reed and making some things happen. Christian Watson has had his ups and downs, hasn't necessarily had the best year. But um, I think that Jordan Love can still be a solid NFL quarterback. And especially when you bounce around to the league um, and, you know, look at some of the quarterbacks that are starting, you know, whether it be to injuries or bad play or whatever, like the, the Mac Jones, Bailey Zappy duo. Yeah, maybe Jordan Love's not all that bad, uh, comparatively speaking there. So I think Jordan Love, he's definitely earned the right to, you know, continue to be that starter in Green Bay. Um, you know, working under Matt LaFleur, I think is a good situation for him to be in. But I think they just need a little bit better weapons around him for Green Bay to kind of take that next step, uh, compete for an NFC North championship yet again. So I think Jordan Love definitely has a ceiling to be a regular NFL starter, but um, still just kind of scratching the surface as his first year starting. And I think I give him a little bit benefit of the doubt, considering that I don't think that the receiving core in Green Bay is necessarily one of the top in the NFL. Yeah, it is interesting just to mention about that receiving core. They're all like 22 or 23 yeah. or 24 year olds. Like they're all brand new to the league, obviously. I think all five of his top receivers, uh, Reed Dobbs, obviously Watson. Wicks and Musgrave they're all super super young brand new to the league so I think Jordan loves ceiling it is with it kind of goes with their ceiling and see what you get out of the receivers obviously it did seem like Christian Watson was that guy last year Christian Watson has been hurt half the season and the other half the season kind of inconsistent kind of kind of not what you would expect on him uh he gets a lot of targets though uh should be half decent in the future uh I agree with you I mean like we've seen so much bad starting quarterback play in the NFL that I think you can say Jordan Love uh get turnovers down a little bit receiving core gets better uh maybe a, a healthy year of, of Aaron Jones would be helpful obviously that's been a real problem this year uh keeping him on the field he's missed games four separate occasions this year he's missed games with injuries which is crazy to think about like four separate injuries have held him out of games at multiple points in the season not ideal um yeah I mean it feels like a, a, at the very worst He's a, a lower mid-level starting quarterback. At the very best, I don't know, maybe he's in the, at the back end of the top 10 quarterback race um, when he comes to, I don't know, like we're talking about RK. We have to remember, we're talking about a guy that's literally 25 years old, um, hasn't had much experience before this year. Like we're, we're still, we're scratching the surface here. It could get a lot better from where we are at this point. Yeah, I think so too. You know, he was drafted ahead of Jalen Hurts. And at that time, I didn't think that was necessarily the right decision. But, you know, you sit him for two years behind Aaron Rodgers. I think that, you know, he's shown flashes that, you know, he could be that guy. I think the Packers kind of did it right with that, you know, invest they traded up for and obviously made a lot of headlines doing so when Aaron Rodgers was still around at that time. So um, I'm still definitely optimistic when it comes to Jordan Love's future. Uh, I think maybe I've been a little bit too high on the Packers at times. <laughs> you know, they really haven't come through big time uh, these last few years, you know, underperformed for sure. But um, I still am willing to give uh, Jordan Love some shots and, and good points there about the young uh, receivers he's got. Maybe they can kind of grow together. You never know these next few years. Um, not necessarily the uh, best division in, in football, to say the least. So if the Packers say, you know, make some nice runs, sneak into the playoffs this year, win the division next year, I think those are all very realistic possibilities uh, for Jordan Love uh, and the Packers there. Uh, all right. Next question from Eric. Big game coming up this weekend in the NFC between the Eagles and the Niners. Touched on that briefly uh, earlier on the pod. But uh, Eric says, winner of this one is winning the Super Bowl. You know, maybe not uh, guarantee that. Obviously, the AFC has something to say with that uh, for both these teams. But I think definitely the winner has a good chance of winning the NFC, to say the least. You know, you're probably looking at teams like Detroit and Dallas as the other top contenders, um, you know, to end up representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. But 
when it comes to breaking down this game, I mean, two of the top defensive lines in all of the NFL, uh, you know, going at it in this one, you know, the Niners, um, they've had, you know, a top five uh, defense in terms of yardage uh, this season, you know, the Eagles, um, you know, they've been maybe a little bit leakier on the defensive side of the ball, but um, have been able to find a way to consistently win more games uh, at this point in time. So um, I, I think it'll be a really tight game. Uh, you know, the Niners, I think the story for me will be, um, how they are able to run the ball because this Eagles rush defense, it's top three in the NFL, but they've also had times where they've been a little leaky at times. We saw the bills have a couple of drives where they were able to kind of assert their dominance uh, running the ball uh, at times. So uh, I think that it'll be a really interesting matchup. It's nice that the game is in Philadelphia, um, but I think it's really going to kind of come down to turnovers and uh, how they're able to kind of protect and, and manufacture quick offense, um, you know, on both sides because of how dominant these defensive lines are uh, on both sides for the Eagles side. Hopefully they get Lane Johnson back. He missed this past game uh, against the Buffalo Bills. They had Jack Driscoll step in at right tackle, but uh, obviously with what the Niners can do uh, in terms of their pass rush, you'd love to have you know your all-pro right tackle back out there. So hopefully that is the case for the Eagles, but I think it's going to be another tight game. Hopefully the Eagles aren't down 17-10 at halftime like they've been at seemingly all these games recently, but um, you know I think it'll be a really, really tight contested game. I definitely could see the Niners end up winning this game. Obviously they have a lot of uh, emotions coming after last year's you know big-time <laughs> disappointing loss the NFC title game where they have a couple quarterbacks go down with injury Brock Purdy uh, you know he's trying to throw left-handed George Kittle was suggesting in that game it really wasn't going good for him so you know they're going to be emotionally invested and, and ready to go for this one they've had it circled on their calendar for a long time and for the Eagles they've been in these tight games a lot of you know playoff like atmosphere games here recently could bode well for them you know it has they've been able to come out in the second half of these games but honestly I can see the Niners end up winning it they are actually the favorite in this game which usually bodes well for the Eagles when they're the underdog just given historical uh precedent but uh, I actually am on side that you know I could see the Niners end up getting a win in this one um just with their prolific offense with McCaffrey and uh George Kittle and and Brandon Ayuk, who's been really good at different times this year and uh the fact that the Eagles have been winning games but hasn't necessarily been the prettiest uh you know at times as well so I think it'll be a really good game. I think the Niners defensive line, you know, I just give them a small slight edge in this one. And I would say San Francisco gets a win in Philly. Yeah, I think I agree with you, although it is going to be really close. And we have to mention, obviously, um, it looks like there's going to be heavy rain potentially during the game, which always adds a, a fun wrinkle in it would make yeah. it a more defensive battle than we would have even considered uh, previously, probably, which I would say maybe in that situation bodes well for the Niners, um, kind of make it harder on Jalen Hurts to throw the ball. Maybe I, you know, what do I know? Um, I don't know. I, I would still, I'm going to pick the Eagles probably regardless of what the situation is, because I do think it just like, there are certain teams that just have, they know how to figure out the end game. They know how to make things work. Obviously we saw last week, uh, Jake Elliott getting the field goal. You get him there, you put him in the situation to win. He's going to clutch up for you. That's what happens when you have star players. That's what happens when you have the best in the business. The Eagles have the best players in the business um, at home against the Niners. Uh, I mean, we, we can't really, we have to mention it. Like this is a one loss Eagles team that could very well be undefeated this year. A loss to the Jets that is as fluky as anything. I, I think looking back, we can really say like probably shouldn't have happened. Okay. Let's be honest here. The Jets are not beating the Eagles. If they played that game 10 times again, I would take the Eagles to win nine of the 10, if not all 10. Um, so I, I would guess that the Eagles probably sneak out of victory here at home. Uh, San Francisco doesn't play in the rain that much, obviously. Beautiful California. The Eagles are kind of built for it. We're, we're very used to bad weather on the East Coast, RK. Uh, obviously, you're getting snow right now. I, I, I got to think the Eagles can sneak it out regardless of what happens. Even with a three-point line, uh, 
stunning to me how the Eagles are not the favorite. Honestly, really, really surprising the Eagles are not the favorite, given how good they've been this year. And, I mean, we have to mention, the Niners did lose three games in a row at one point. Like, the Niners have not been perfect. The Eagles have been very mu- much closer to perfect, albeit not perfect at all. Um, I'll take the Eagles in a really, really close game. I do think it's going to be lower scoring than we anticipate. The over-under is set at 46.5. I don't think we get to 47 points in this game if it's raining. Um, a, a McCaffrey versus Eagles D-line, Eagles linebacker matchup is going to be just just immaculate, going to be spectacular. Um, and also, RK, I just want to mention, this is not a primetime game. How did we not get this on a – how is this not – Sunday night football. How did we how do we manage to mess this one up? Yeah, that's uh that's a great question. They went with Packers Chiefs over Niners Eagles. Packers like, Chiefs! Who we're, cares? We're that game before the year. We're like, yeah, there's two teams in the NFC you gotta look out for. It's Philadelphia at San Fran. Uh, two teams playing in the <laughs> NFC title game last year. Like we knew we knew this was gonna be a big game and they didn't pick it um for a primetime <laughs> game. Yeah, pretty insane. But yeah, we'll we'll be tuning in for sure. It's gonna be a really good, really good game. So um yeah, I, I think watch out for the D lines. I think that that probably is your your short of it. Um, you know, two of the best in the NFL and, and the Niners obviously added up uh big time when they got Chase Young out there too at the deadline so uh good question there from eric that one should be a lot of fun glad we were able to break it down last question from eric he's finally convinced us enough to give some respect to the denver broncos who are now six and five and uh you know just on the outside looking in in the playoff conversation the afc has been really crazy obviously with uh surprises we talked about indianapolis and houston and cleveland is still in that mix uh right now currently in a playoff spot so are we giving any more thought to the Denver Broncos sneaking into the playoffs, Donnie, at this point in time, uh, given the fact that at this point, you know, they've won five straight games? Um, More consideration, yes. Giving them legitimate consideration, no. I'm still at the point where I think they've kind of snuck through, um, kind of sort of maybe didn't deserve to beat Minnesota. I think you can argue um, was it was a really mediocre game, but uh, they've got three road games in a row against Houston and then the Chargers, and then the Lions. you got to anticipate them losing at least two of the three there. I don't think those those are definitely easy games, especially against Houston this week. A massive, massive game for them for standings implications just in general as Houston is tied with them at 6-5. and five. I would take the Texans in that game. Um, I'm anticipating the Texans will be able to win at home. I think Vegas is anticipating that Texans, the Texans will be able to win at home. I'm not going to say that they have no chance, but it, it's still an uphill battle. Obviously, when you go out there, you lose five of your first six. Winning five in a row doesn't really do anything for me. Honestly, like, it's great, but now you're putting yourself at 500. The chances are you're not going to win every game the rest of the year. Um, I, I would say the likelihood here is we see a nine-win Broncos team just miss the playoffs at the end of the year, uh, probably via tiebreaker or something stupid like that. Maybe a loss to the Houston Texans is the reason they miss the playoffs in six weeks, something along those lines, but I'm still going to say just on the outside looking in, but I, I will give them the credit they deserve. Uh, obviously, a win over Cleveland, regardless of who the quarterback is for the Browns. Impressive. The Cleveland Browns have been really good defensively this year, and it did seem like Russell Wilson and gang were kind of sort of figuring out. Uh, not the greatest game there, but they were running the ball very, very effectively, which is really ideal uh, for a team that may not have the most consistent quarterbacking or receiving room at this point. So. I'll give the I'll give the Broncos like a thirty percent chance at the playoffs. Um, I'm sure that the odds say that they're going to miss given the circumstances and the schedule here. Still got the Chargers twice. I uh, got to play in Detroit. Got to play in Houston. Even the Raiders are not a walkover win at this point. They've kind of figured it out. It feels like the Raiders are a little bit more consistently competitive now. Um, but I this is much more consideration than we've given the last couple of weeks. We've we've just been saying no the last couple of weeks. So Eric, if you're taking anything out of this. 
the Broncos, Stonks, they're, they're going up a little bit. We're feeling we're feeling better. I'm not going to say they're making the playoffs, but thirty uh, percent, like I said. Yeah, I'm pretty much right in line with you. Uh, you know that door is continuing to creep open, but I'm not fully there yet. You know, playoffs. I, I don't think they're necessarily winning out or anything like that. Where um, you know they're taking over uh, and and you know getting in. But hey, Russell Wilson's been playing better football. I you know it's kind of what we expected when they traded for him. If we're really being honest, get the ball to Cortland Sutton, get the ball to Jerry Judy. Um, you know, play some solid defense. So um, you know, Sean Payton has you know won five in a row. So we'll say what has happened. But um, yeah, still not ready to say they're in the playoffs for sure. Even though some of the teams ahead of them like we said you know maybe a little bit surprising to see cleveland indy houston ahead of them as much as it is surprising to see teams like buffalo uh cincinnati and the la chargers behind them uh, at this point in time so weird year for the afc but uh yeah i'm still not there yet warming up to it but not ready to say broncos playoffs but uh maybe two three weeks if they keep this winning streak up maybe we'll change our opinion but not yet at this point in time but uh, good questions from eric always appreciate those getting us some hockey thoughts and then uh bouncing around to college football and nfl our guy eric check out the end zone pod uh as well eric's podcast um does a really good job with a lot more football thoughts if you guys like this podcast you'll definitely like that one as well so we appreciate it at eric 18 utah if you want to check him out appreciate all the thoughts from eric uh, on this podcast but with that we are, we've got one more question on this podcast. This one comes from my dad and he says most memorable overtime or extra inning game of 2023. Uh, it's crazy. We're already kind of in recap mode of 2023 uh, uh, for uh, sporting events. Um, what do you got, Donnie? Most memorable overtime or extra innings game um, that we saw this season? Yeah, your answer that's put on the dock is currently my answer, but I'm going to give you a different answer just to keep things lively here. I'm going to go with Adolis Garcia's walk-off in Game 1 of the World Series. I think the the memorable factor is enhanced when you consider what he did to get them there. Uh, obviously, his series against the Houston... I think you could say the Houston Astros series may be the most uh, spectacular playoff performance ever. Um, maybe not at that point, uh, but the fact that he was pretty much willing to team in uh, to to the World Series after um, against the the Evil Empire, might I add, um, he had 14 RBIs in a seven game series against the Houston Astros, including home runs in every single game of the last four. Um, and then he leads into the World Series with another very very uh, memorable performance. I think that it's like not just 2023, but one of the more memorable MLB performances we've seen because of just how spectacular he was for weeks on end. Usually. Baseball guys, you you can't anticipate a home run every game. Adolis Garcia was at a point where him coming up in the top of the 11th or bottom of the 11th, pardon, in a World Series game, you kind of thought like, oh, like this is this is the moment. This is it. Set up perfectly, scripted as can be. Perfect movie moment. He does it. They win. After Corey Seager had tied it in the ninth, uh, might I add. So fairly important aspect there. But um, I'm going to go with Adolis Garcia's performance. Um, just an amazing run that they had there capped off by a world series walk off. Like how do you do it any better? Yeah. Uh, Adolis Garcia was insane. <laughs> These playoffs. It's a shame he got injured and wasn't able to finish it off, but the Rangers were able to finish it off, get a, uh, a world series championship there first. So um, great answer for you on that one. Uh, my answer, I'm going back to the Stanley cup playoffs, actually first round of the Stanley cup playoffs had a big upset, the Florida Panthers over the Boston Bruins. I mean, a lot you can say about this one. It was game seven overtime. Carter Verhage scored the overtime goal. That's uh, I guess the nuts and bolts of the memorable overtime game, but even just the bigger story at hand, the fact, 
fact that the Florida Panthers were down in this game. They scored with a goalie pulled with a minute left to force overtime uh, in this one. They were down in the series three to one against the Boston Bruins. Uh, and they ended up coming back, winning the last three games of that series, including a couple on the road in Boston, in, including this game seven overtime win. You factor that in overtime, we saw David Pasternak, the best goal scorer for the Bruins, hit the post. Almost won it for the Bruins, had them move on, and definitely it would have been a damn good chance that they could have made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals themselves instead of the Florida Panthers. And then lastly, the fact that the Florida Panthers snuck into the playoffs to begin with. They were 43 points behind the Boston Bruins. It was the second largest point differential in a series upset in NHL history. We have to go all the way back to 1982, the last time we saw an upset um, with a bigger point differential uh, in the first round. Just an insane series of events, you know, massive upset. No one saw this coming that the Florida Panthers would end up winning this series after being down 3-1, after being down in Game 7, after being down one goal uh, with a minute left in Game 7. Just so much going on that led to just an unbelievable game and uh, turned into a great run for the Panthers, making it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals before losing to the Vegas Golden Knights. So without a doubt for me, most memorable overtime game has to be that Panthers-Bruins Game 7. Uh, that's uh, Carter Verhage win it uh, for the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I just wanted to mention you were spot on there. Uh, it is also just something to mention that Brandon Montour pretty much carried them into overtime. He scored two of their three goals. Yeah. Like you're not you're not getting multiple goals out of a, a defenseman in in a playoff in playoff clincher, a, a must win game seven. Like that doesn't happen. So I, I definitely I I was pretty much spot on. It was like the first thing that came up in my head. Obviously, we are hockey heads. We are hockey fans, so that might be a little bit of bias involved there. Um, surely there's some NBA or NFL um, magic in there, but yeah, this was... Uh, I still can't really believe this happened, okay? Like, we were at a point where a 135-point Boston Bruins team lost in Game 7 to a Florida Panthers team that probably should have even made the playoffs, all things considered. Like, absolutely insane. Truly, truly just a magical moment. Yeah, a lot of layers to this one being crazy. It was also the only game that Jeremy Swayman started in the series for Boston. We saw Linus and Mark in, in every other game. There was a lot going on there for Boston. Um, and yeah, I mean, after the best regular season in NHL history, we're not expecting them to go down in round one. Uh, and they did so in game seven overtime, a dramatic fashion for a, a Panthers comeback win uh, on, on multiple occasions. A comeback to get into the playoffs, to force a game seven, to get into overtime and to win it in game seven. All those factors apply there uh, for the Florida Panthers. So uh, good question there. Uh, We'll have some more 2023 recaps, but um, crazy that uh, we're you know getting into December now uh, at this point, wrapping up the uh, the calendar year. Um, nuts to say, but with that, it's been a good podcast. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. A lot of football thoughts, and appreciate all the question askers uh, on this podcast. With that, Donnie, I'll pass it over to you to wrap us up. Obviously, we do appreciate all of the questions. No Kira and Phil question for this week. They'll be back next week, as will Sheck West. Um, just gonna have the gang back next week. It was an off week, obviously Thanksgiving week here. Um, we're still getting over the the tryptophan or whatever they whatever is put in the turkey that makes you tired. Uh, we're still trying to we're still trying to get over that. You know, obviously it's been a, it's been a real battle. A lot of uh, a lot of Thanksgiving fun here. But uh, as mentioned, we appreciate everybody who listens this late. We appreciate all the questions. Uh, without the questions, the podcast would be a lot more boring. So it is very much appreciated. Uh, we will be back yet again next week with another episode one seventy nine coming up soon. RK, it was a pleasure once again, and I just want to say, peace, everybody. Peace.